and welcome to Soberholic Podcast. This show is designed to address topics that will encourage, equip, and inspire you to explore life's most difficult topics and overcome your biggest challenges. Today, your hosts, Roger and Jason, will share from their own experience how you can find hope and healing in recovery. Welcome back, Soberholics, to another episode of Soberholic Podcast. My name's Roger. I'm here with my co-host, Jason. Jason, how is it going today? It is going really good because this is my first summer with an air conditioner in my car. Hey, was that the same car that you had, like, when you got sober? This one, is it? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 that, the cop car, yeah. Uh, so this is the, the, this is the one, everybody starts with a horrible car in sobriety. I mean, it was a good car until the air went out. Yeah, but I mean. It was a 14-year-old no car. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. It was awful, but now I have a big boy car now. A big boy car and a big boy <laughs> payment that goes with it. Right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> so um, you sent me some notes today for today's show. Um, just kind of give us some pointers of what we're going to be talking about, you know, bullet points. And so when I saw it, I thought about this um, this conversation my wife and I have had. Well, it's multiple conversations, and it kind of starts like this. Oh, so, no. Um, you know, when you first meet someone, I met my wife in recovery, so you're getting to know one another. And one of my passions, one of my hobbies is deer hunting, and that's big here in Alabama. I know we've got people that listen to us all over. But here in Alabama, deer hunting is pretty big, and um, especially for the, the, the guys I run around with. And um, so I was telling her about that. I don't know how we go in the conversation, but she is actually, her family is from Oklahoma. And I don't know anything about Oklahoma, but it sounds like it would be really good deer hunting. Kind of like Texas. People say Texas, and you think really good deer hunting. And I don't know. There may not even be deer in Oklahoma, but um, it doesn't really matter because what she told me later was that she had killed a nine-point deer. All right, so that may not mean much to some of our listeners. Is that big? I mean, I don't know. Well, you know. I would say um, a really big deer here in Alabama would be a 12-point, would be, you know, pretty big bragging right deer point-wise. I don't even know what the size was, but I know for me personally, the biggest point I had ever killed on a deer was a 7-point. <laughs> and so if you just count point for point, my 7-point to her 9-point, she's killed a bigger deer than me. And so as a man, well... I lost a lot of my pride there. You know, it's hard oh, yeah. to tell your buddies, hey, you know what? My wife's killed a bigger deer than me. <laughs> you know, and like I've never even seen her hunt. Like even since we've been married for, I don't know, I'm going to get in trouble. I think 13, no, 14 years this year. Um, I, I've ne- I think she went hunting with me one time. But anyways, that was right early into our, our recovery and our relationship. She told me about the nine-point deer she had killed. And as I said, it was hard to even tell my friends about that. But it always came up in conversation because, you know, whatever, we would, we would just go on and on with one of my friends. And I was like, yeah, my wife's killed a bigger deer than me. And they would give me a hard time. And so fast forward two or three years into our, our marriage, we were talking one day. And uh, I mentioned to her, I said, well, you've killed a bigger deer than me. And she's like, Roger, I didn't really kill that deer. <laughs> I'm like, what? She's like, no, nah, I just lied. Yeah. And I'm like, what? And, um, she's like, yeah, you know, did you not just tell a lot of just white lies? Did you not just lie to lie when you were using? And I'm like, well, I did. 
I did a lot of that while I was using. And that was one of the things I had to change in recovery is just all those white lies, just lying to lie for absolutely no reason. Um, that's what she was doing. Um, what was cool about that, because I don't normally tell stories about my wife especially, is that when she owned that up, um, I would have never known the difference. But it was eating her lunch, you know what I mean? Hmm. And she so, was worried about this deer story for yeah, who knows I mean, how long. Yeah, I've been this for years because every time I talked yeah. about it in front of her friend, she she had to remember, look, that was a lie. And I don't want to keep sewing in and making this a bigger lie. Yeah. And so when she owned up to it, it kind of lost its power. And um, I've always respected her for that because she could have let it go on forever. And, um, you know, it was it was hard for her to, to make, to say that I'm sorry, I shouldn't have lied to you. I remember that moment. I'm sure she does too. But it was it was cool to, for that to happen because it let me know that it was okay for me to apologize when I made those bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about lying versus honesty. And so I know for me in active addiction, lying was just basically like a second, like a reflex. I mean, the weirdness of some of the lies even shocked me now when I think back to them. Uh, I remember this one when I was in drug court. Um, I always used to come up with excuses of why I couldn't come in and test and take my my drug test with drug court. And so I think my mom uh, died a a couple of different times, actually. (laughs) Um, And my caseworker caught on to the fact that she was like, the second time I tried to use that one, she was like, your mom died like a couple months ago. So she came back to life and she died again or what? And I was like, no, ah, you got me, you know. <laughs> so, but to all our listeners, my mom is alive and well. But you know, I just would just come up with it was mainly like excuse driven, like in addiction. Most of my lies had to do with covering up, you know, my using or drinking or whatever. But a lot of them were just random, you know. Um, and, and even, even after I had gotten sober, getting out of the habit of lying, it didn't just clear up overnight. I found myself lying, you know, to maybe save time. Somebody asked me, you know, what, what did you do this weekend? Well, sometimes I would just lie just so I wouldn't have to go into a big, long story of what I did, you know, because it was just kind of convenient. So it it took a long time to kind of get out of that that mindset of, you know, I don't have to lie anymore. You know, I can actually tell the truth and, you know, and it'll be okay. Have you ever been, well, maybe I shouldn't frame it this way. When um, I've gotten pulled over by the police many times, and I'm sure you have too. And they they always ask some sort of question like, you know, are you on drugs, boy, or or something like that. Mm -hmm. And usually it's like, no, I've, I don't think I've ever said, yeah, yeah, I'm on drugs. Or no, how many drinks have yeah, you had? Uh, just a few, you know. It's a couple. Always, yeah. <laughs> always, you always say a couple. Yeah. It's always something like that. But there was one particular time, and maybe I can frame it, make it quick enough for us for our show. But I had just, um, I had just been arrested previously, um, the previous week. By two police officers for running underneath a mobile home uh, with my car, 
you know, not like I was running from them. I literally passed out. It's the first time I had ever used drugs IV. And I, I passed out and I drove my vehicle underneath a mobile home. And I came up with all kinds of excuses why it happened, this and that. And believe it or not, they did not arrest me. They took me right down the road to my friend's house and dropped me off. And so I was like, cool, you know, thank you, Lord, for helping me out of this one. At that point, I didn't even believe in Jesus. But I was like, all right, thank you, Lord. Uh, if there is a Savior, you just saved me this time. Mm. So uh, <laughs> for a week, and here I am walking out of the neighborhood pharmacy, and I was forging prescriptions. And I had left the prescription overnight because they did not have it in stock, you know, the, the pills that I needed. What right. they were doing, they were setting up the police to be there the next day and sure enough i went in to go get the prescription that i had forged and yada 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 that she gave me the pills i had to pay cash for it several hundred dollars for this prescription because there's no insurance on that or you get called i think things have changed since this this point in time but i walked out the door and these two cops that had just arrested me for driving through a mobile home you know a week prior were on both sides of the door and they said so Roger, um, you don't do drugs, huh? I was like, no, sir. I got these for my arm, you know, uh, and you know, I'm missing my hand. And so here I'm going to play the sympathy card and you know, I got to have these bills for my, my arm and the doctor give them to me. I'm the doctor. Um, but, uh, um, we went down this big long thing and said, so do you use drugs? I'm like, no, no, I, I don't use drugs officer. I really don't. These are just for my arm. And that's what I need them for. And he reaches over there like from behind my ear and pulls out the joint that I had poked behind my ear as I went mm. to the prescription. I was just so out of it. I had no clue what reality was. But it, it kind of crazy that, you know, you just caught me, you know, parking underneath a mobile home because <laughs> I wrecked. Um, you caught me forging prescriptions and walking out with these, these drugs now. You found a joint behind my ear, and I'm still denying it the whole time. No. No, I, I don't do drugs, you know, and I don't know what I came up with with that, but I guarantee you it was like my girlfriends or something. It oh, was yeah. never me. It was never my fault. My dogs. Yeah, one lie after another. Yeah, it's, it just come. It just go. It just kind of went with the territory, and um, you know, one of the biggest things that looking back now that I see that all the lying, um, you know, kind of one of the biggest negative uh, side effects of it was just how it isolated me you know it it made me pull back from everybody because i didn't want anybody to know the real me i didn't because at a certain point in my addiction i i I was aware of i wasn't probably fully aware because i didn't want to look at it because i was lying to myself but i was aware that things were pretty bad and so I I lied to everybody to keep them away and keep everybody at arm's distance, so that way you know they they wouldn't judge me, you know they wouldn't they wouldn't try to change me and and try to you know ruin my party that I had going on or whatever I thought in my mind was going on, and so that was kind of one of the biggest things that that I look back now and see how all the lying. And, and dishonesty with everybody around me eventually it did push all of them away and i just i ended just you know at the end of my um before a couple of the different bottoms that i hit um you know i was just totally alone didn't have any kind of friends 
wasn't connected, you know, to any kind of support group or recovery group because I was lying to all of them. And this last time that I was that I got sober, I remember like I was still going to meetings, but I was going high. And I'm going in there with, you know, recovery people, you know, super high and they knew and they would ask me, you know, what's going on, man, you know, like knowing what they meant. And I'd be like, nothing. Everything's good, you know. <laughs> and and most of them were just like, okay. Uh, I mean, if you think so. You know, like, because they knew what was up. Right. It's funny you, you mentioned about how lying can cause us to isolate because I've always, I've never really looked at it from that perspective. For me, it's always been that my drug addiction or my alcoholism is what caused me to isolate. But as you were saying that, it made sense to me that, I would isolate myself from others because of my line as well. And I would do this kind of like this. I, w- I would tell one story to one group of people. And if I put the other group of people around that other, you know, group, if I put group B around group A, then they would realize that my lie, that there was a lie there. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I couldn't ever do that. So I would end up pinning myself in a corner where I couldn't be around anybody because I, if I put friend A around B or C friend, then they were go, you know, untwine my, my lie. And so it left me all by myself. Yeah. Well, then you, I would blame things on other people, you know, that I had done. I would blame person a on person b so then b is mad at a so then they can never be around each other i mean it was just total chaos and i even was at the point to where there was in my journal that i also lied in um my journal that's awesome (laughs) I, i actually had like a tally of trying to keep track of my lies like like i you know like i wrote you know i told john such and such and such and such and so i could go back later and be like you know i told him this but this is really what happened but then i would lose track of it (laughs) and not even realize and i would forget what really actually happened that that happens when you're on drugs and that's kind of the another not negative side effect is like it kind of detaches you from reality um when you're when you're lying as much as i was lying in my active addiction like I forgot, you know, what actually happened and there were there was lies that I perpetuated through my using for years that it wasn't until I got sober and and may, and some of them were even a year or two, 3 years into sobriety where I was like, you know what? That never happened. And I just lied myself into believing that it did. Hey, the best one I've ever came across with this about losing um, re- reality and just kind of forgetting what's going on is the a conversation I have with a sponsee of mine who is sober now, by the way, um, who is over a year sober now, I believe. Well, I know that he is now. And um, anyways, he um, he um, came to me just as a sponsee, and not all my sponsees did this, but we we talked so much we became friends, and so it was just one of those random questions. He said, look, man, I, I'm itching a lot. I got these sores on my back. What's um, <laughs> what's something I could do for that? And the reason he asked me that, not all my sponsors asked me about dermatology questions, 
but I had mentioned to him my wife struggled with eczema and it caused her skin to itch real bad. And I was like, well, my wife had been to a dermatologist and said to use this, this cream called Cetaphil. I think that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> And um, so I told him, I was like, look, man, if, if you think it's eczema, then you could use this Cetaphil stuff, and it, it should probably really work. You know this story. I know where this is going, yeah. And so uh, I was like, he's like, okay, cool, man, cool. So he put it on and all this, and he would tell me that's not really clearing it up. And I, and this rocked <laughs> on for a while, and I'm thinking nothing about this at this point. It just That's just what it is. He showed it to me. I'm like, that don't look like an eczema, but whatever, you know, I mean, it's the best thing I got for you, you know, go to the doctor. Anyways, after a couple of relapses, I found out that what was going on through that conversation is that he had meth sores. Yeah. Uh, they were self in, self-inflicted, yeah. Yeah, and, but he was convinced that it was just eczema because that <laughs> sounded more logical. And so he was rubbing Cetaphil on his meth sores to keep on remission. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense to me. I've been there. I've well, been there. Great. We still laugh about it. Oh, well, yeah. Well, you got to you see the laugh or cry about it. But, uh, you know, when you lie, you know, it hurts yourself and it hurts other people. Um, you know, the, the lie that I mentioned is we started this off about my wife talking about a deer. It didn't hurt me. Um, you know, it, you know, I didn't lose trust over her. Maybe some people would to say that, well, you know, if she lies once, she'll lie again. You know, that's kind of the story it goes with people, with just liars in general. But um, I, I completely get it. I think that it probably hurt herself more than it hurt me because now she has to figure out a way to cover that lie up over and over. And when I would talk to my friends about it, she had to, to, to live that, you know, and know that she's lying, this internal battle, that internal struggle. That's, that causes a lot of conflict and drama in my life that I don't like in recovery. So I found that it's just better to tell the truth in the beginning to avoid the pain that it causes me and possibly the pain that it causes others. Yeah, it's just much easier to keep your side of the street clean, you know, instead of piling it up with a bunch of chaotic lying that you have to do more lying to cover up, and then you just end up digging yourself a deeper hole. Yeah, it's definitely no good. Um, another another thing is it always kind of – the more I lied, the more I thought I was kind of in control of my life and the life of others around me um, in active addiction. I, I tried to manipulate people, of course. But, you know, looking back now, really that was my pride and ego just try, wanting to be in control. So I'd use lying, you know, as, as kind of a way to, you know, it, the, the more I lied, the more my ego and my pride kind of got out of control. And so you know looking back on it it's kind of like that was the opposite way of you know having a, a a spirit of humility is all the lying that i was doing because you know it, it just doesn't it doesn't promote a humble a hum, humble spirit when you're going around lying and being dishonest to everybody i don't know if i explained that right but does that make sense yeah it does a few shows back um, we were talking and i brought up this ego and I was reading a book and I wish I could remember which book it was, but um, it gave me a definition for ego. And, and basically it's how I see myself, you know, that could be defined as my ego. 
and that's what a lot of my lies were, were ways to make me look better than what I really were, was. I wanted to see myself in a different light. I didn't want to see myself as a drug addict. I wanted to avoid that at all costs. So my lies were a way of covering all of that stuff up and making myself look better, not only to myself, but to others. So certainly it, it promotes this idea of pride, this ego, um, and this arrogance that I, I'm not as bad as what other people make me out to be. And, um, that caused me a lot of problems in, in my addiction. And it's caused me problems in recovery because, you know, I've given some examples of my wife, but I'm not to say that I haven't done it myself in recovery. Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, the, the opposite of lying is the truth is tell is being honest and it's just so much better. Um, you know, it like all the things that we've talked about, you know, the opposite of, you know, that's what we're going to talk about now. Um, so, like, if lying keeps you isolated, well, then being honest, it, it helps connect you with other people and it keeps you accountable to other people. Um, there's something powerful about meetings and groups. I love it when I'm in a meeting and somebody. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that in most meetings people aren't honest, but when somebody really lets it hang out, you know, um, and it's just gut-wrenching honest as far as, like, you know, I'm, like, in the meetings whenever at the end where they're, they're like, does anybody have a burning desire? You know, most of the time nobody says anything. But every once in a while you'll have somebody say, I, I can't, I'm having trouble staying sober, you know. And there's something so powerful about when when one person is completely honest to another about how they're struggling in their recovery, you know, that I, I just don't think there is an equal, you know, there's there's nothing that has that same sort of power. Um, I know in, in AA there's the whole saying, we're only sick as our secrets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, this goes into the fourth and fifth step, of course. But, you know, whenever you share with, another human being the exact nature of your wrongs there is a huge load that is lifted it might not you might not feel it immediately but um you know it just it just helps to know and to tell somebody and be honest with somebody because it it might not only be helping you but it could be helping them too because they might think well i'm not the only one struggling with this that's the power of having community and recovery well, that's right. I think that, um, you know, looking at it from the steps perspective, uh, step one really is all about honesty. You mm-hmm. have, it's personal. You know, it's not even about the accountability portion, but it's about being honest with yourself. And if you can't be honest with yourself, it's hard to ask anybody to keep you accountable because it goes back to how I was saying the ego earlier is that if I don't believe that my life is power, um, power, if I, if I don't believe I'm powerless over my life and that it's unmanageable, then I'm still going to figure that some way, somehow I can make it work. And so by being honest with myself and how bad my, my using my addiction is, then I can begin to reach out for help from other people and get the accountability that you're talking about. Because if I'm not connected to others, then um, I'm faced to do it by myself. And as your very first point in the lying part is that, well, that's going to isolate you. And it's that, it's that vicious cycle we stay in. You know, yeah. we want help, but we want to isolate. And you can't ever find help trying to fix yourself the way you've always fixed yourself. And so by being honest with yourself to say that I don't have the power to fix this on my own, 
that my life is unmanageable to fix it by myself, then I've got to find help from someone else. Then we're going to keep doing that, that vicious cycle. Yeah. And I mean, if you're not honest at any point in the, in working the 12 steps, then I don't, I don't see how you're, you're going to be successful in it. I mean, it, honestly working the steps is, is kind of the framework behind the whole thing. And then, you know, also it being honest, taking true, a true, look at yourself and being truthful especially with yourself i mean it keeps you grounded in reality instead of detaching you from it um and that's also where the community part comes in too because it's like whenever you it's hard to honestly look at yourself sometimes but if you have a community a recovery community of sponsor and accountability partners and and friends that you know in your recovery group or whatever I mean, you, you know, I've I've asked you several times to kind of take a take a look at me and hey, do you see anything that's going on with me right now? You know, what could I be working on? Or I'll ask you, am I having a problem with this? Um, you know, those those tools are awesome to use as far as being able to get a an honest look at yourself and assess where you are in your recovery and and how to move forward and keep on growing. One of my sponsors, um, it's nothing new. It wasn't ingenious to him, but um, there would be p- particular people around recovery groups that I, I never liked. You know what I'm saying? There's just those people, maybe they share too loud. Maybe they share something you don't like, or they share the same thing over and over. Whatever the case may be, there was just people that I didn't like, and I would like gripe to my sponsor about it. And he's like, well, Roger, what you see in them um, that you don't like about them, there's something in you that you know is being mirrored back to you. So what I would suggest is that you look at what's going on with you versus mm-hmm. figure out what's wrong with them. That was the reality I got a lot from groups, and it wasn't so much about the lying, it wasn't so much about telling the truth, but it was being truthful with myself and saying, you know, you're mad at this guy because of this reason. Is it something that maybe you haven't dealt with in yourself, and that's just helping you see that in yourself? And uh, that was very beneficial for me, and it still is. I still use that tool today. And had I not been around other people, I would have never learned that. So it was important for me to to not only be truthful with myself, but in the reality that I'm still a work in progress. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, and another thing is when you are honest in all your relationships, you know, they go they go quite, you know, a, a whole lot better than if you're lying in all your relationships. And then past that, um, like we see in step um, eight and nine, when you're honest, being honest and being truthful can actually mend and heal broken relationships. I mean, I've experienced this in my life and millions of other people um in recovery have experienced this that when you are honest with people and um you know they they usually respect that you know i know i respect when people are honest um just because you know they could have easily hid whatever it was instead of coming and being truthful with you especially if if they had wronged you in some way and it was something like a like a nine point deer where you would have never known any different you know but when they when they take the initiative to be honest with you and be vulnerable in that kind of way, 
I have a, a ton of respect for that kind of honesty. Yeah, that's exactly what happened with my wife and I. Uh, she never would have had to told me that, but when she did tell me, it, it did take a little bit of wind out of my sails. Like, you know, you've lied about this simple thing for three years. <laughs> what else have you lied about? There yeah. was thought, but it was followed up with just what you mentioned, respect. And that's what I have for my wife today because she was willing to say that. Hmm. And, um, you know, using your example of just about broken relationships, because I didn't break our relationship, but as I, I worked through and did a nine step myself, I had to make a lot of amends. And I know not everybody's stories this way, but I had hurt a lot of people. And I went to make amends to all these people throughout the years. And some was received quickly and some were slowly. But I can honestly say that I believe I can't think of not one relationship that hasn't been repaired. Now. Every relationship, everyone I've ever done wrong, it has been repaired to the best of its ability. You know, we may not hang out every week and, and do that. But if we see each other in public, whoever I may have offended, we talk. And, you know, it's it's not like it used to be like having mm-hmm. a knowing that I had done something wrong or knowing that I had lied about something and I'd never made it right. And so there's a lot of freedom in that, knowing that I've cleaned my side of the street, as you mentioned earlier, to know that I don't have the guilt and the shame anymore. And the coolest thing about that is I don't have to think about another lie to cover up the first lie or the lie. And so there's a much more peaceful and serene life from just doing the right thing. Oh, yeah. And it keeps you humble, too, you know. When you're honest, especially with a sponsor um, or accountability partner or whatever, you know, you're 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 kind of admitting verbally out loud, you know, maybe a fault in your life, a shortcoming in your life, a sin in your life, an area that, you know, you have like a character defect or something like that when you. When you say those things, when you write those things down, you know, you, you, you're kind of, it kind of makes you realize that, hey, I don't have all, all this together. You know, I'm not perfect. I have these faults. And so it kind of keeps your ego in check when you're, when you're honest and when you are practicing, you know, a recovery program that's built on honesty. It really helps keep that ego and that pride in check and then like you were just saying too to end with i mean just being being honest is just so much easier across the board um you don't have to keep ledgers of what lies you told to what person and all that craziness and i mean it just you're like if your brain was like a computer and and you were lying all the time it takes up a lot of bandwidth you know, you're 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 pulling a real huge load on that CPU, where honesty is very light on the computer resources. It's not really pulling a lot of bandwidth. It just it just works better. You know, that analogy was not that good, but <laughs> I think you know what I mean. You know, it's just the the amount of of time and worrying because I used to worry about my lies too. If, if, you know, am I going to get found out? Is this person going to find out about this lie? Um, I, I don't have to do that anymore. You know, trying to live an honest, you know, lifestyle as, mu- as most, much as I can, you know, it's just I ha- I'm a lot more serene and peaceful, and I'm not constantly thinking about, you know, all the lies that I have to 
pile on top of the other lies. It's just so much easier. When if you would have told me in the middle of addiction that being honest and truthful was going to be easier, I wouldn't have believed you. Uh, without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. So here's what I would suggest to anyone listening today is that, um, quite honestly, it, what's going on in your life, you may go, well, I, I don't have a problem with lying. You know, um, I, I don't think that when I was lying, I, I thought I had a problem with it. You know, you know, usually it's real deceptive and it kind of sneaks up on you. And if you're not doing a good 10th step every day and kind of reviewing what you're doing every day, you may not even know what's going on. And so I would say this, that you begin by maybe tonight as you review your day, no matter where you are in recovery, if it's your first day or maybe you hadn't even got your first day in or it's your 10th year, any anywhere through there, then just review your day and see, have you been honest with everything that you've done today? And, and say, well, this was this one little white lie. It didn't matter. I've heard some material before say that a half truth is a whole lie. And, you know, that's, I think, very wise because that's usually where our lies begin in very small things. And they build to bigger things because you have to cover up the first lie. Mm-hmm. And so begin looking at those things and see if you have an issue with lying right now. Um, it would not be, you would not be unique to be in recovery and have an issue with lying. Um, as Jason and I have both mentioned today, that we have struggled with that through our own recoveries. And I don't believe I've graduated from not lying today. Uh, I think that today was better than yesterday, but I may just fall off tomorrow and just tell the whopping big story tomorrow. Who knows? If I go fishing, it's guaranteed that. It's, it's almost a guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I am going fishing next week, so I'm sure that something will go down. But, try to, uh, try to, I, I try to resist. Pictures. I will take pictures to prove my point. Verify. Yeah. yeah that's it. <laughs> uh, but so do that. Take that opportunity to begin reviewing your life. See if there's some ways that you can be more truthful and begin the process of removing those little white lies out of your life and those big lies as well. And so that you can live a life that you feel is, um, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Or, um, Serene. Yeah, there you Truthful. go. I'll go with that. Peaceful. That sounds good. So um, anyways, that, that's what I would suggest to you and give it a shot. Um, before we close up, I wanted to say these few things. Is I'm still waiting for these folks who are listening to us for different countries to call into the show. Well, not to call into the show, but write into the show. It's SoberHolicPodcast at gmail.com. I really want this to happen. I don't Ireland. know how it's going to happen, but I think it's going to. And, and I'm not going to quit until somebody does it. Ireland, Australia. Yeah. We want to hear from you. You got to be able to speak English because I can't understand anything else. United Kingdom. Yeah. So there, there's plenty there that are listening right now because we see you listen. We see the downloads. And so get to the show um, through our email, uh, soberholicpodcast at gmail.com. Just let us know a little bit about your recovery, and we'll get you plugged into the show. It's not hard at all to do it. We're not going to pressure you into anything crazy. We just want to hear your story and want our listeners to hear what recovery looks like overseas. Yeah. Um, so I just think it would be a really cool show. Oh, yeah. So 
anyways, that's my two cents for today. Thank you, Jason, uh, for a great show. I hope that we can bless someone with our mistakes and not have to go through that. And um, that puts show number 70 in the books. Yep. So with all that said, man, I am Roger. I'm Jason. We are signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.